0: So I don't know what kind of morning you had, I don't know what has been going on this week, but wherever you are, whether you are tired, worn down, sore, or whatever, I pray and hope that you can come and we can um, find peace and rest as we look at our Savior and our King. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this day when we can gather together and worship you. Lord, we thank you so much that we can gather and read your word and know you and see who you are and understand you and see what you've done for us. So Lord, I pray for this time as we open up your word that it speaks to us, that it um, becomes clearer in our minds and can move in our hearts so that we can see you all the more clearly and respond to what you've done. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and we pray all these things Jesus' name, amen. It's the cliche beauty pageant answer. It's what the secular world sings about come Christmas time. And it's really a longing of all human beings everywhere. World peace. Peace with this world. Because people look and they see that this world is not how it's supposed to be. They see a world that is in conflict, in a world where there's strife, in this world where people do not get along and so we all naturally long for peace, world peace and peace in our own life. And this is really pointing to a deeper reality which is a estrangement from our Lord, our God, our maker. The very fact that humanity has fallen into sin and have broken that relationship with our Creator, our God, means that there's no peace anywhere to be found because fundamentally we are broken people. But the Bible comes with a promise, and this promise is written through every page of the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's called Shalom, and Jesus brings this, this promise that there can be peace. There could be peace with God, and there can be peace in our own lives. This is why when Jesus is born, what do the angels uh, proclaim in song? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Pointing that Jesus is really the fulfillment of this promise of peace that God brings. That we can have peace with our Creator. And that's fundamentally humanity's biggest need because ever since Adam and Eve took that bite, we have not had peace anywhere. For we don't have peace with God because we are sinners and God is holy and he cannot relate to sinners like us. And so we can't have our relationship with God is broken, it's estranged. We have this gap existing between us and him that we cannot bridge. And so we don't have peace. And that flows over into our relationships with one another. And so we don't have peace with each other because we want to be our own God. And we want to look out for our own selves first. And so that relationship strains all because we don't have peace. And on and on, everywhere we look, we can see how we do not have peace. But we want it, we crave it, and we need it. And so when we come to the Gospel of John, we see Jesus making it very clear that he brings that peace. Fundamentally, peace that starts with God, but then a peace that flows into every other aspect of life. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to John chapter 16 as we dive into the word of God. And we'll be starting in verse 5. And this is, again, um, the last kind of discourse that Jesus has with his disciples before he's arrested um, in the upper room, and so he's talking to him. and he's continuing this conversation, and he's talking about how he's saying these things to them from the beginning, because, uh, and he's, he's with them, but in uh, verse 5 it says, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while, and you will not see me, and again in a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will join, turn into joy. When a woman is given birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give, give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask. And you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that you will ask the Father, I will ask your Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because he has, you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not, uh, do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you have tribulation but take heart, I have overcome the world. We read this last section of Jesus' farewell discourse, and what we see from it is that in a troubling world, we can have peace with our perfect God. That's what Jesus is teaching us, that in a troubling world, we can have peace with our perfect God. God is building to that. What he's leading them through, what he's talking to them about is all building to this great statement that we can have peace in Christ. That he's promising them what's about to happen and he's leading them and explaining what is going on but it's all building to this statement that we can have peace with God and that peace with God changes everything. In a troubling world, we can have peace with our perfect God. And so let's just go through this passage and see how it builds towards this fundamental understanding that we can have peace with our God. And we see first, it talks, Jesus talks out and he says, we can have peace. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's coming and the Holy Spirit is going to be at work. And that should give us peace. In fact, Jesus says, it's better that I leave Because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit won't come. And it's better for the Holy Spirit to come to be with you than if I was going to be here with you. And that can kind of uh, confuse us because what would make it better for Jesus to leave? Why would it be better for Jesus to go away? Now we understand on this side of the cross that it's better because through him going away, he's talking about his his death and his resurrection and that he saves us for him going away. But we also understand that the Holy Spirit, when it comes, is not limited physically like Jesus was, but it's now with every disciple everywhere at every moment, empowering them to live for Christ. And so he says, it's better that I go away. Why? Because the Holy Spirit can come. And when he comes, he's going to take what I have done here locally, and he's going to turn it into a global enterprise. That he's going to empower people to go out to every ends of the earth, to spread the good news and the truth of who I am. So he says, it's better that I go away so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. Michael Horton, who is a a theologian author, says it like this. He says, Jesus' farewell discourse, this John 14 through 16, is all about trading places. As it unfolds, we begin to see more clearly the importance of the difference that uh, that the Spirit is and makes in the work that he shares with Jesus. Jesus impresses upon the hearts of his confused and fearful disciples that his departure is a net gain. We need Jesus Christ, enthroned in our glorified humanity at the Father's right hand, ruling and subduing the enemies of his kingdom and interceding for us. But we also need the Holy Spirit to accomplish what only he can do to work within us to bring about repentance and faith. And to intercede within us so that we can relate to the Father in joy as it has adopted children rather than in fear. We need the Son interceding on our behalf. We need the Spirit to come empowering our ministry. We need both of these. And Jesus says it's better that this happens than if I was going to stay here with you. And when we come to our lives right now, If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this promise still is true for you. That means we have the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we can gloss over this, and we go about our lives as if nothing has happened. But fundamentally, something has happened that's changed you from the inside out, for when you come to know Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit working out of you. You have the Holy Spirit empowering you to live for Christ in everything that you do it's an amazing fact that we have that same promise that he gives his disciples in that upper room. That when we think about that, we should have tremendous peace because no matter where we are, no matter what's going, what we're going through, no matter the hardships we face, we know this truth that we have the Spirit just like the disciples do and did. And so we have that peace. But furthermore, we know that the Spirit is at work. We know, as we saw last week, some of that work of what the Spirit does. And I, loved, I love how the um, London Confession of 1689 puts it, that the Spirit is enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh. Just this idea that the Spirit is at work. What is the Spirit doing? It's working within us. That we need it. Because without the Spirit, we still have that heart of stone where we can't even love God. We can't even see God for who He is. Yet the Spirit is at work, changing us from the inside out, bit by bit. So we start to love the things of God more than the things of the world, and we are changed because of it. We have peace because the Spirit is at work. And Jesus outlines what the Spirit does, and He first talks about how the Spirit convicts the world. This word convicts really can have this sense of exposes the world to their sin. That the spirit's job is to open up people's eyes to reality that they fall short of their almighty God. The spirit's job is to work on people to un- so they understand that they need a savior. So Jesus says, the spirit convicts the world in regards to sin because they don't believe in me, he says. The Spirit it shows people, again, the truth of who Jesus is and says, you don't believe in the Savior of humanity. Showing people that they, without Christ, are lost. Showing, exposing them for their lack of belief. And that this is really a gracious move on the Spirit because it shows us our need. Our need to respond. Our need for, for belief in our Savior Spirit exposes our sin. If, you, if, you have, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably have felt this, where you almost woke, woken up one morning and you have just felt a more weight on your life because you realize again, seemingly sometimes for the first time again, that you don't measure up, that you have this sin in your life that you haven't battled yet, that these things weigh on you. And that we can remember, we go to the cross and know that they're gone, but they're still the same. We see this reality that we don't measure up. And we look around and we see all these people who don't believe. And they seem to be skipping through life merrily because nothing is affecting them. And that's because the Spirit's at work in our life, exposing the fact that we need to be living and following God. And so we should be thankful for that, that His gracious work is in our heart, moving us to follow Him all the more. But the Spirit doesn't just convict us of sin. It convicts us of righteousness. Which is a funny turn of phrase when we read this statement of Jesus. What does it mean the Spirit convicts us of righteousness? Well, it means that the Spirit is working in us to show us that no matter what good we do, if we do it for our own motives or for our own gain or for our own benefit, it's not good. That the only good works that truly matter the one's done through the power of the Spirit, the only righteousness that really we can count on, is not our own righteousness, but on Jesus' righteousness. And so too often we run to our own things and we think, man, I'm pretty good. I got it together, don't I? Look at me. People like me. I'm smart enough. I'm nice enough. Things seem to be going well for me. We look at our own things and we say, this makes me right right and jesus says no the only righteousness the only right standing before god that we can count on that we can be saved by is the righteousness that comes from christ and so we see again the spirit's convictness in terms of righteousness and then finally the spirit convicts the world in terms of judgment pointing again that the world has some pretty bad judgment the world can look at Jesus and not see who he is. That the world can look at their own life and at their own way of living and say, we want to walk this way and it's pretty bad. And so the Spirit convicts the world on their own judgment on how they see how they're supposed to live. How they see right and wrong. How they see what's good and what's bad. Christians can get in trouble here because we try to play the role of the Holy Spirit in some people's lives. Where we want to come in and we want to kind of lay the things straight for them and say, No, this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong. You should do this. And we start telling them how to live rather than relying on the Spirit to change their heart to then live for Christ. And so we see again this, Jesus remind us the Spirit is at work. And so we have peace. It's not your job to change someone how they live, it's not your job to to get someone right, the Spirit does that. The Spirit is convicting. The Spirit is working It gives us peace to know that when we share and when we love, and yes, and when we confront, the Spirit can be at work moving people's hearts to know who Christ is. and They can convict them of the truth. So we see the work of the Spirit, but we also see the work of the Spirit as it guides us in all truth. That's what the Spirit does. It takes what Jesus has spoken, it takes what Jesus did, and now it applies it to our hearts and to our minds. That's his job. It points a big spotlight back on Jesus and says, remember what he said? Remember what he taught you? Remember what he did for you? And so whenever we are talking about the Spirit and we seem to, uh, maybe some people might talk about some of those extra bits they might receive from the Spirit, those are really just a filling out of the truth of who Jesus is. And it's funny because when we start talking about the Spirit, a lot of people like to go towards the emotional end of the spectrum. That how do we know the Spirit's at work? Well, I just really felt it. I really felt a joy or I really felt a peace or I really felt something or, you know, I have that emotion of it. And that's true. The Spirit does move through emotions. But when we read this, the Spirit moves Through the truth of who Jesus is. And how do we know when the Spirit is present in a worship service? How do we know when the Spirit of God is present during a Bible study? How do we know when the Spirit of God is present? When our conversation is when Jesus is proclaimed as Lord and Savior. When the things he spoke to us are now applied back to us. That's how we know Jesus is present. The Spirit is present. I love again how Michael Horton says this so well. When he says, we can be certain, we can be therefore certain where the Spirit is active in power is wherever Christ is being proclaimed in his saving office for the forgiveness of sins, justification, and inheritance of a, in the new creation. How do we know the Spirit is present and that worked? Christ is being proclaimed the things that he spoke to us and did are now being applied to us. Another way of saying it is another quote by H.B. Charles Jr. that says this, Is the will of God to have the Spirit of God use the Word of God to make the children of God look like the Son of God? I like how he says that a little better. Because it's true. The will of God in our life is for the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God, the things Jesus said and taught and what he did, now to make us the children of God to be more like the Son of God. And so that's how we know the Spirit is, is present in that work and how is that he's proclaiming this joy and that gives us peace because we know that we on our own cannot be like Jesus. We on our own cannot get our life in order. We on our own cannot do these things but yet the Spirit comes and it gives us peace that he's moving in our lives. But that's not the only peace we have from this passage. We also have a peace because there's a promise of joy. Even in the midst of sorrow, we have a promise that there's a joy that awakes us. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, in a little while I'm going to be going, but in a little while I'll be back. And I love that passage because it repeats that phrase like four times because his disciples just don't get it. They say, what is he talking about? In a little while, I'm going to be gone, and then in a little while, I'm going to be back. Jesus is looking ahead, and he knows how this night is going to end. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be tried. He knows that come that next morning, he's going to be crucified upon a cross. And so he says, in a little while, I'll be taken away from you. And you're going to have sorrow. You're going to lament. You're going to experience pain, because you thought I was the Messiah, and this is going to test your faith because you see me dying on the cross, you'll be crying like my daughter (laughs) has been crying this whole service. There'll be sorrow in their life. The reality of that, that they'll be confused. They'll be wondering what happened. He says, you'll have sorrow, but yet I will be with you again and then you'll have joy. He says he's coming back to life. He's promising his resurrection where they will see who he is and they'll know that their belief in him is vindicated and that they were right and that he is the Savior. that He is the Messiah. And so he says in a a little bit you'll have sorrow, but then you'll have joy that is going to be so much greater than the sorrow that you have, that you had. And he uses this illustration of a woman giving birth. Now, Paul never get, um Jesus never get birth, but he, I think he knew. He's the son of God. He knows how that goes for, down for women. I don't. I've seen it happen. Uh, and I love how moms like to talk about, with their kids, you know, they say, ah, I was in labor for 72 hours for you. And they kind of jokingly, hopefully jokingly, remind their kids of the pain and sorrow they went through to bring them in this world. But I like to think, I'm sure I'll be corrected by parents and moms. But I like to think they jokingly like to say that because it's a lovingly way to remind their kids that the pain, that labor, was worth it. That that sorrow that you experience during labor is worth it when the joy of a new human being is now in your arms. And that is what Jesus said is saying and reminding us that the pain and sorrow that his disciples are going to experience, is going to be worth it when they see Jesus back in the flesh, alive after dying, his glorified body. And there's a pattern here that I think is true for us as well where he's talking to the disciples at this point in history where he's going to die and then raise. But we're now here in our life, we have the same pattern kind of being played again for we have sorrow in this life. For Jesus has now gone and he's in heaven interceding for us in, uh, with the Father in heaven. But we have sorrow and tribulation in this life. And so we're experiencing sorrow, but we also have that same hope that he's going to come again, that he's going to be here. And we're going to have joy when he does. That's far going to outshine and out uh, be greater than any of the sorrow we experience now. And so that pattern is true for us. And it gives us peace. And we remember this pattern that no matter what is going on now, we have the peace that Christ is coming back. And we'll have joy when he does And we'll have peace when he comes. And we'll be with the Father, and we'll be with the Son, and it will be perfect. So no matter what's going on now, we can look to the future and have that peace of that. But not only that, we also have a peace of answered prayer. For again, he makes that great statement, that great promise to disciples, that if they ask anything according to his name, they know God will answer it. This great peace that comes from knowing that God is ready to answer our prayers. He's ready to respond to us if we just ask Him. He's reminding him again of that great aspect of the Christian faith that we can have communication with the Almighty God. And that gives us peace. For no matter what is going on in our life, we know we can take it to the Lord in prayer. No matter what we're experiencing, we know we can talk to our Heavenly Father. No matter what awaits us or what decisions we have to make, we know we can go to the Creator of heaven and earth and He listens and loves us and will respond to us. That we have the truth that the Holy Spirit is with us and interceding for us. As Romans 8 tells us, that even when we don't have the words to pray, the Holy Spirit is at work interceding for us and supplying those words to the Father. And then we have the the great hope and the peace that comes that Christ intercedes for us. That moment by moment, Jesus Christ is enthroned in heaven, sitting on the right hand of the Heavenly Father, leaning over and saying, they're one of mine. Listen to them. She is one of mine. Take care of them. He is one of mine. Let's be working to transform them to be more like me. We have a piece of answered prayer which is fundamentally grounded on the peace of the Father's love. In verse 27, Jesus reminds the disciples that the Father loves them. The Father loves loves them, and cares for them. There's a great assurance of the Father's love. Every morning, uh, when I get up and I, I get my son ready for school, I'm talking about you, uh, I pick him up, he grabs my neck, I pick him up and I carry him downstairs. He doesn't like school. He doesn't like getting up in the morning. Who does? But I imagine that this simple act some might call baby him, but simple act of loving him and reassuring him of my love helps him get ready for the day. And as long as he'll let me do it, I'm going to be doing it. Now, that means carrying down an 18-year-old down the steps. I'll have to start working out more. But it's the same fact that we have the most amazing father We have God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, who formed the stars by name, who who knows us and, 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 and formed us in our mother's womb, who created our inmost being. We have the most amazing Father who cares for us and loves us, and we know that. And if we know that and firmly believe that, we have peace because we know who our Father is. We know how our Father is at work. We know how he's going to be carrying us through whatever we're going through. and Carrying us through our life and our day. But then we also have the peace of belief. As verse, excuse me, 30 says, I love how disciples say, now we know that you, you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we'll believe that you came from God. Is love the statement of belief disciples give to Jesus. They say, we know that you know all things. We know that you came from God. And this gives them a peace. They're about to be tried on that peace. Because they make this statement and Jesus says, you say this, but in a little while you'll be scattered. You'll be running home because I'm arrested. And I'll be all alone. And so their belief is going to be tried. But there is a peace that comes from belief. Because when we believe something is true, at the core of who we are, if we fundamentally know this is true, no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what we experience, we can stand on that belief and we know that will not be shaken because it's founded in who Jesus is and who God is. And we have peace and we can live in that peace. In an ever-shifting culture, we need to grab on to a peace that comes from belief. So do you believe in who Jesus is to stand on and not be moved? But no matter what happens in life, you know who He is and how He's working in your life, and you trust in that. So we have a peace, a belief. And this is all grounded in. all of these ways in which we have kind of peace are grounded in this fundamental understanding that we have peace with God. Because we have peace with God, he sends his Holy Spirit who is at work leading us and convicting the world and teaching us what Jesus taught us. And because of that, we know that we'll have joy at the end. We'll have the peace that comes at the end. And because of that, we know that when we pray, God answers us. And because we have a reconciliated relationship with him. And because we know that, we have peace because we know the Father has love and we have a belief in who he is. And this is all grounded on this fact that we have peace with God. That's what Jesus says It's his purpose for saying all these things. Why did he tell the disciples all this? So that they can know that in him they can have peace. That in Jesus Christ, we can have peace. Fundamentally, first, we have peace with God. I love how Paul says it in Romans <clears throat> uh, 5. No, that's not it. In Romans 5, when he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know Jesus. Because we're in him. Because he saves us. We now fundamentally have peace with our almighty God. And that means we have peace in this world. And he says, in this world you'll have tribulation. I don't know if there's a more understated sentence you can think about. In this world, you will have tribulation. Yeah, we experience that every single day in the trials, in the hardships. We know the reality that this world is not how it's supposed to be. And in this world, we'll have tribulation. But why do we have peace? Because Jesus has overcome the world. Why do we have peace? Because Jesus is the victor. Why do we have peace? Because on that cross, when he died, he took our sins upon himself and gave us his right standing so that now we have peace with our God and our Almighty Father loves us and cares for us and is moving all of creation so that we grow more and more like his Son. We have peace. Because Jesus has saved us. We have peace because Jesus has reconciled us to the Father. We have peace because now we know that no matter what happens in the troubles and the tribulations of this world, we can know that God loves us through His Son and that He's working in our lives through Jesus. I love how R.C. Sproul says this. This isn't because we have power, we have power to beat the world, we don't is because he overcame the world for us. Why do we have peace? Because Jesus overcame the world. He is a victor, and he brings us along in his victory. In a troubling world, we can have peace with our perfect God. That's the truth of what Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And what does that mean for us? That means if you know Jesus Christ, let the peace of God flow in all aspects of your life. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that means when you go to work, you have an understanding that that job, that position, whatever you're doing is not the end-all, be-all, but that you have a peace that actually can trump whatever is going on in your workplace and that you rely on his peace even in the midst of all the pain that work can give you. Then family, it can be hard to have peace. We know that to be true. For when family comes, it seems like conflict comes. But when we lead our whole family together to rest in the peace of God, we can be assured that maybe, hopefully, and assuredly, the peace of God starts working in our family and bringing us back together, reconciling us. Then our worries, as we get anxious, as we look around the world and we get confused, we have a peace from God that calls us to look back to Christ and to look back to the Father who loves us and is working for us. That in our stress, when we think we don't have what it takes to hold our life together, we have a peace that allows us to let go and omit I don't have what it takes to hold my life together. But only the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, can guard me in Christ Jesus so I know that he can give me a peace even when I'm stressed to the max. Then relationships, when we like to hold grudges, when we like to hold on to anger and hurt, We have a peace that forces us to look back again to the cross where we see our righteous God saying, I am not content to hold a grudge against you, but I'll send my son to take it away so that I can have a relationship again with you. How could we then hang on to things that hurt us? We have a peace that changes our relationships. We have a peace that causes us to look at the future with expectation. With hope. For we know that no matter what is going on now, we have a peace that focuses our eyes past whatever we're going through to a peace and a joy that is focused on our God who is going to bring us to the end, who's going to save us, who is working right now to bring us to Him. And so if we know Jesus Christ, when we read this and we see how it builds up to a peace with God, we have to realize in a troubling world, we can have peace with our perfect God. And so let the peace of God flow into every aspect of your life. Because he is working, he is active, and he loves us. Let us pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we love you, we seek you. We ask that you continue to work in our lives. We ask that you continue to grow us, continue to show us the truth. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that, that we can know the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. That no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what we're experiencing, no matter what we, we know we're going to experience tomorrow, we have a peace that comes from knowing him on how he saves us and how he brings us to you. So Lord, I pray that you continue to work in our lives. Let us be founded on that peace. For anyone who does not know and does not trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that they can see the truth of how that peace is real. And they can respond to it and seek it. Know that it can only be found in you. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.